Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Uh, this week, we're going to dive into news regarding Epic and uh, their decision to introduce new direct payments in Fortnite on both iOS and Android devices. Uh, at the same time, we've got some new information about uh, Apple launching their or, or preparing to launch their tiered subscription bundles. And we've got new hardware from Microsoft. We had heard about the Surface Duo. We finally have some additional details this week from Microsoft. So Ross, let's dive into everything that's happening with uh, Epic and Fortnite. Obviously, uh, a key component of, of their portfolio, one of the most popular, if not the most popular video game in, in history. Uh, they've decided to offer new direct payments in Fortnite, violating the terms and conditions on both iOS and Android and being kicked out of the uh, App Store for, for both platforms as they attempt to get around the App Store fees and, and sharing the percentage with both uh, Apple and, and Google. Uh, obviously, lowering the fees by about uh, 20%. 20%, yeah, was the yeah. number that I saw. So um, a significant discount for price-sensitive users, but of course, Apple and Android, uh, despite Android's openness, don't like companies violating their terms and conditions and ultimately trying to, to bypass what uh, monetizes the platform. Uh, so this has been kind of a, a growing uh, feud, if you will. And this is what happens when uh, big companies get bigger and try to battle the big platforms that they, uh, that they ultimately need. Uh, and um, the, the coexisting always gets a little problematic when, when companies get here. What's your uh, hot take on the epic Apple battle? Yeah, I think I think hot is the operative word. You know, this is something that has been simmering for a while, and now it's just really starting to to boil over. Um, and uh, we we have really seen that the thing that uh, makes this really interesting for me is that this is by far uh, the most important uh, app developer that has uh, rebelled uh, against uh, app stores. And, um, uh, and, and, and also, uh, the, the, the way they did it, the, the audacity, uh, with, with which they did it, um, you know, there's the usual, he said, she said, uh, regarding, uh, regarding the negotiations that took place before this move, but not only did Epic, uh, just implement this feature in, in a brash, violation of, of the App Store guidelines, but they even made a parody video of Apple's famous 1984 uh, commercial using Fortnite uh, characters. That was uh, a surprisingly good uh, parody, almost, almost frame for frame. So uh, uh, not, not, no, no, uh, no shortage of creativity uh, over there. And uh, we'll, we'll, ha we'll have to see how, how long it goes. I mean, uh, Fortnite now, of course, is at such a scale 
very rare among app developers that it, at least for some time to come, uh, they could probably continue uh, without having to to be uh, in the app stores for uh, you know at least a, a couple of weeks, maybe longer. Um, uh, you know, the thing that would suffer would be the in-app purchases, really, and I guess new downloads. Although, uh, as you know, Sean, they they already have a, a huge uh, number of uh, players. So, uh, so the question, and I'll. Uh, I'll shoot it back to you for this one a little bit, is do you think we could get to any kind of critical mass in terms of uh, app, app developers that, that these players need to have on board uh, before that, that could exert enough pressure uh, to, uh, to cause them to reconsider? Um, because I think, you know, if you look at some of the other uh, folks who have tried this, you know, Spotify, right, complained a lot. Um, and neither Apple nor Google really, quote, need Spotify, right? Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, their users would be uh, angry, but they could switch to Apple Music or, or uh, YouTube Music or, or, you know, some other uh, music service. Um, but, uh, but it reminds me a little bit of in the PC era and the, uh, the negotiations between Apple and Microsoft, you know, where there would be these occasional rumors about Microsoft pulling Office from, uh, from the Macintosh. And whenever that happened, you know, there was panic and, and the thought that, uh, you know, Apple couldn't survive, uh, with, without Office on the Mac. Uh, so, uh, so where, where do we go from here? I think it will be very tough to ever get sufficient critical mass to really cause these platforms to change the way that they they price their services. Uh, Apple has, you know, despite sometimes alluding to the idea of, of loosening the requirements and, and trying to feel more open, they, they have uh, essentially driven a they've um, put a pretty strong line in the sand, if you will, uh, drawn a pretty long, clear line in the sand. And uh, that line seems to move sometimes when Apple wants it to move, but it's at Apple's discretion. So I, I don't know that I see Apple uh, really moving very much on, on these issues. And to your point, both of these providers, Apple even more than Android, would love to see you give up Spotify in exchange for right. Apple Music. They'd love to see you move away from Fortnite and, and play games that are are native to Apple from smaller developers or you know even uh, within the Apple Arcade itself. So uh, they they I you know I think it's a little bit of a delicate love hate relationship. They want sure. to have the best apps on the platform available to those users who want it, but they would also love to see you move away from that and, and move to services that, that they have greater control over and, and greater revenue from. And in what's become uh, a familiar refrain from Apple, uh, when these conflicts tend to uh, come up, they, they used it uh, against Spotify as well, is that Epic has made lots and lots of money, you know, from from the App Store, and and uh, you, you didn't have any complaints about it then. You know, you were happy to agree to the 
terms and conditions then, and and it's only now that you're you're violating them and and uh, making such a big deal about this. Um, but but it's been a good deal for you is is essentially the argument, even though it may not be the the optimal deal. Uh, it has uh, it has allowed you know your company to to drive uh, increasing revenue, essentially off our invention. Right is um, is the argument, um, which is which is the justification for the fee. Right, some some uh, some developers, some third parties argue, oh, you know, why why does Apple have to just you know how does Apple justify its thirty percent? Uh, you know, they don't have any hosting costs. They don't really incur any maintenance to uh, keep the app store going, and frankly, Apple doesn't have to justify it. You know, they, they own the platform, they develop the ecosystem. Uh, I would say that a, a lot of the costs are embedded. Uh, they, uh, they maintain the value of the app store by maintaining the value of the ecosystem, by maintaining the value of the iPhone, uh, which of course uh, is a very uh, cost-intensive R&D uh, marketing exercise. Well, and you, you've seen them uh, go a step further, you know, Epic ultimately filing an antitrust lawsuit. So this right. is something that's... Yeah, that is huge. Yeah. yeah. And that's a sensitive issue right now, uh, obviously here in Washington, D.C., uh, with all of the big tech companies. And so, you know, it, it's only a matter of time. Now it, it takes many years often for a, a suit to work its way through all the way to the Supreme Court. But uh, these are these are the type of cases that we will see at the Supreme Court level in the decade ahead and that I think will really define how companies operate platforms. Uh, we've got this one with Apple and how the App Store works with Amazon and whether they can offer their own proprietary products right next to their competitors. There's obviously been a lot of uh, accusations that they've used in what is essentially insider information about those competitors uh, to create products and pricing that uh, that make them the, the default choice or the go-to choice and, and create an, what could be considered an anti-competitive environment. And so we'll see what uh, what happens there. But I think those these are all the type of cases and, and others like that, that will work their way through the judicial system and make it to the Supreme Court. And it's a, it's a thorny uh, antitrust argument. Um, you know, I saw that a recent article about uh, why these antitrust cases are far from a slam dunk for a range of reasons, Apple's relatively low market share, uh, you know, this idea that historically uh, anti-competitive behavior is uh, judged in, in terms of consumer pricing, but you know, in the case of Google, so many of, of its services are given away for free. Right. Uh, so, um, so we, you know, if if there is to be change under the law, uh, there there will likely need to be new law. But uh, Sean, you uh, you brought up how uh, Apple uh, would not uh, lose much sleep over people dropping Spotify and and moving over to Apple Music. Uh, and that, that's a good segue for the uh, rumors, uh, reports that uh, the company is looking to bundle many of its uh, content uh, services together 
under an Apple One banner. Uh, this is something that's been talked about ever since Apple started making this content push uh, beyond Apple Music, which was really its, its first service. Uh, so, but, but also, it seems like, and, and unsurprisingly, the, the incentive to do this for the consumer uh, would not be uh, would would not result in in a very significant discount. You know, we're talking about maybe just a couple of bucks so over the cost of um, of uh, subscribing to them separately. So, so Sean, what what do you think about the potential uh, of of this move? Well, I think this is moving in the direction of Amazon Prime and trying to create mm-hmm. a subscription service that encompasses everything that that it falls under the Apple umbrella, mm-hmm. like Amazon has done with Prime. And then over time, they can continue to add things into that, that service bundle and, and just increase the price uh, over time as well. So I think that's the direction they would love to go. And, and obviously, if they feel like they can offer a compelling value proposition and offer comparable services to some of these others, then maybe you move away from the discrete subscription services of companies like Spotify and move to something that's bundled. And I think you know, Amazon has done a very good job with Prime, offering Prime users a lot of benefits that, that keep them committed to the platform. And you know they, they've got a, a, a relatively high you know, cost, they charge it to you just once a year, which is uh, probably a, a good business practice because you forget about it until you're, you're billed again, as opposed to many of these services that are doing monthly subscriptions. We've talked about it before on the podcast that there does feel like at some point we'll see monthly subscription fatigue. Are you going to be wanting to pay dollars here and $10 here and $9.99 here to to have a plethora of subscription services, or would you rather pay a, a bundled fee? Um, as as part need, of, this, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to just say, as part of this Apple One subscription bundle, there's already rumors that they'll be launching a new virtual fitness service as, as early as October. Hmm. Uh, Peloton has done very well in that space since we went into quarantine in, in April. And uh, I think it's a, a very highly contested, will be a highly contested market. It's a uh, market that I think others will, will enter into. They realize it's a viable market now and probably will be a viable market moving forward. And so it's interesting to see Apple move into to a space like that, that they've really never been into. Obviously, the, all of their wearable products dabble in the, the fitness arena, but then to move into the service component, I think speaks to the future of Apple. Taking hardware, yep. adding services, putting those services into a, a broader subscription bundle, and, and that's what the world of Apple looks like. You buy the hardware because it works with the services. You buy the service because it works with the hardware, and you've got that symbiotic relationship. Yeah, fitness seems like a, a slam dunk, uh, and for a company that is traditionally so secretive, they uh, often drop uh, a lot of hints uh, in terms of of where they're going. And you can just see the level of engagement in health uh, having been ramped up uh, year after year with with every release of of the Apple Watch and Watch OS. Uh, Also, 
uh, again, to the point we were just talking about in terms of uh, Apple looking at what is successful on its platform. Uh, Peloton is, is a great example, uh, but there are, there must be, you know, at least a dozen uh, subscription fitness service apps uh, on, on the platform. Uh, they being Apple, uh, they can sign up some real celebrities, some very well-known trainers. Um, you know, years ago, they tried uh, putting together kind of a music instruction uh, program through GarageBand that, uh, that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, even though they had, um, you know, very famous uh, teachers, if you will, like like Sting, uh, but uh, but this is a whole new Apple, you know, and and one that uh, is is really uh, learning a lot about uh, offering services. So so that one um, seems like a like a slam dunk to me. The uh, the contrast with Prime, I think, is interesting. Uh, there are certainly some surface similarities in terms of bundling together some content services. Uh, but I just wonder, what is the anchor? What is the anchor of this service? In Prime, historically, uh, it's been uh, the two-day shipping. And, uh, you know, one thing you might criticize Prime for, although it hasn't really seemed to uh, dampen its, its uptake much, is uh, it's, it's a hodgepodge. You know, you get uh, the shipping and you get a little bit of video and a little bit of music and and book borrowing and, you know, who knows what else they'll, they'll throw in to, to your point. Um, here, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a more logical structure if you're bundling together content services, uh, at least for the short term. But on the, uh, on, on the uh, on, at, least, at least for now, none of them are really the compelling leader in their space. Um, you know, at best, Apple Music is uh, as good a commodity service as any any of the others. Uh, Apple TV is just sort of starting to, you know, taking its 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 early steps. Um, so, I, I guess you know, if I'm if I've sort of defaulted to one or two of those services, you know, I, I why not? Maybe, uh, but. Um, but I, I think the bundle, of course, is, is only as appealing as its components, uh, and uh, they have a lot of work to do there. Yeah, and I think one of the, the struggles with that is, to your point, do you want a bundle of second-tier service providers in, in each of those individual markets? I mean, this, this is the argument for going with the discrete player, right? You go with the the Spotify when it comes to music and podcasts, you're going with Amazon when it goes to, to shipments, you're getting Netflix when it comes to, to streaming services. It will be interesting also to see how Apple builds out third tier uh, or, you know, providers and services. Mm -hmm. So do they add in a Disney plus as part of an, an option? So you're getting that as part of your, Apple One bundle, and you, so you can kind of pick and choose what you want, and then you're just going to, to one place. It looks a lot like the the cable model, if you will, of which mm -hmm. which uh, channels you chose, like Prime, like Prime channels. You know, right? They've done a lot of work there. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you know, so we'll see. I think I think Apple is still trying to figure out how to fully exploit payments 
in the mm. Apple ecosystem. They've obviously done a lot with wallets and, and Apple Pay. And I think they, they want to make it a seamless experience. And when it's a seamless experience, then consumers often don't uh, take notice of you know, being billed and thinking about those monthly payments. And so if you can have that kind of seamlessly as part of the, the service, I mean, I think of the, their protection services, obviously, as, as a model of that. They try to bake some of those into the initial purchase and into the monthly fees that you're paying. Uh, for Apple Care, and uh, I, you might see that same approach happen here. I mean, Apple Care is a great example of something that they could build into an Apple One bundle, right? Right. And that that would be a uh, definitely a key feature of what you're getting. So, if if you were getting Apple Care plus some some subscription services, Apple Apple Care is kind of like insurance, though. So it's uh, I don't know. It is. It is. But if you think it's popular, given the price of their devices. Well, and if you think about just like the logistics service of, of Amazon prime, right. It's, it's kind of a, yes, it's shipping service. It's something you really take advantage of. It's kind of a boring thing. What what about some kind of DAS option device as a service where, you know, they, they offer the iPhone on installment. uh, And if you order it direct through them, you know, for, However, X many more dollars a month you get Apple One. I mean, now now you're talking. I think. Yeah, well, so. and you've seen them. You've seen them kind of approach it that way, where they're offering. I mean, it's been Verizon that's offered uh, free access to right uh, to Disney Plus. You've seen sure. Apple offer some some free um, kind of early months of of service when you get a new iPhone. So. Right, right. The year of Apple TV. Right, the year yeah. of Apple TV. So the, you. The, can, you could see something like that where they bundle the hardware and the services and then you're you're paying 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month but you you're getting the newest iPhone uh, you know Apple's really worked this model where they're taking used devices refurbishing them and moving them into other markets with yep. with lower disposable income so that maybe that market works really well in the US and Europe and and parts of developed Asia where they're doing Subscription services for device and services. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you, you mentioned Verizon Disney Plus. Uh, on, this, on, the, on one hand, it's kind of a competitive market response to the carriers uh, who, who have done that kind of bundling, right? So if I'm getting the device directly from Apple, uh, Apple can offer its own Apple One at, at, low, at uh, better margin, presumably. Uh, if, um, but it's also... Uh, the, the carrier deals also um, d- disincentivize um, the, the purchase of, of an Apple One subscription because if I, you know, if, if you're getting Netflix from T-Mobile and some kind of Hulu Spotify bundle, um, you may think, you know what, I've, I'm already paying for three services I'm barely watching. You know, do, do I really need Apple TV? So, you know, on, on top of my, my music subscription. So, so we will see. Yeah. In our final story, we thought we would dive into Microsoft's newest hardware. Uh, they announced that the Surface Duo, which we had already seen previews of, will arrive on September 10th for the budget price of thirteen ninety nine. <laughs> um, obviously, the, the price point is very high 
for a device of, of this style. Now, many will call this a mobile phone. Microsoft won't call it a mobile phone. Um, I, I actually am really excited by this type of device category. I like the idea of uh, dual screen devices. I, I use multiple monitors when it comes sure. to my, my home PC setup. And I can see the benefit of, of having a, what I would consider a flexible display. And, and this is a way of bringing a flexible display into your what I'll call mobile environment, on-the-go environment. Uh, obviously, Samsung, which we talked about in an episode or two ago, is trying flexible displays and a slightly different approach. Um, it it really becomes a narrative around what's the real estate look like in your mobile device. It's an interesting time to launch a mobile device because we aren't right now very mobile. Right. And so the use case for this device, especially at this price point, $1,399, really needs to be compelling for a user that's never leaving their home or, or rarely leaving their home. And uh, you know, tablets have done well. Maybe this could be a... Uh, uh, you know, it could benefit from some of the, the tablet. Um, well, and premium growth. tablets, it's really been the, the premium segment of the tablet market that right. has done well in the recession. So. Yeah. Yeah, and part of that is we're, we're wanting more computing devices for at-home use, more screens. Uh, we've got, um, you know, multiple children and households that are needing to get on t- for Zoom calls and, and uh, Microsoft Team events and other things for classes or other uh, social groups they're involved in. And then at the, at the same time, you've got people working from home who are using uh, dedicated devices almost for their Zoom calls and, and other video conferencing. And then they want to use their, be able to s- still use their laptop or their desktop for their productivity activities. So this could play into that space. And, and maybe you could dedicate one of those screens just for video chat. Well, the other one, it gives you, uh, you know, a, productivity tools. Um, my sense is that it will see minimal uptake at the onset because of the, the price point and because of the environment that we're in. I mean, it, not only is it a sure. high price point in a good economy, but it's a, it's a very high price point in a, a rough economy. Um, no, no argument there. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, um, I, well, so a couple things on this. I, I think that uh, this, uh, this this ties in a little bit to uh, the previous discussion we were just having about uh, Apple versus developers, right? So why, why does Microsoft need a phone? Uh, because Microsoft has its own agenda and its own services. And it wasn't, you know, it was just a, a week or so ago that we saw this whole brouhaha over xCloud and Game Pass and Apple not allowing uh, Microsoft's cloud gaming service uh, on, uh, on iPhones. So, so what is, uh, you know, what, what is Microsoft uh, going to do? Well, they can, they can work with certain vendors like Samsung, which they're doing, uh, but they also feel like they need to have a home turf uh, where they can do essentially anything they want. Uh, not really anything because it's still an Android device with Google Play, but you know certainly a lot more than, than they can do on an iPhone. Uh, it features very good integration with with Windows, not surprisingly, with the Your Phone feature. Uh, part of the reason for the price is that while you might think, 
hey, you know, we have seen two screen phones in the past. Uh, there's a, a lot of engineering in this thing. You know, they've been said they've been working on it for years. Uh, it is uh, an extremely thin device when open under under five millimeters, uh, as opposed to the more typical eight or nine millimeters of a, of a monoblock smartphone. It uses split battery technology, you know, but of course, consumers or, or users aren't going to care about any of this. You know, to your point, they're going to care about what they can do with it. And uh, this idea of trying to recreate the multiple monitor experience uh, is, uh, is, is definitely something that uh, uh, they have a lot of experience with and, and they say that they're trying to recreate uh, with this device. Uh, I, I think even kind of the aspect ratio of it is, is interesting. Uh, this idea that we've been moving to these very, very tall, very, very thin uh, display, not very thin, but, but re relatively narrow displays in the name of you know, being able to uh, more easily handle a big phone in one hand. Uh, whereas each of the Surface screen, the Surface Duo screens are, are relatively wide uh, displays. You know, they feel like more like a little uh, iPad mini, right? So, um, and, and that's again, optimized for this productivity message. Um, there, there's this Surface heritage uh, where you can put the thing in multiple poses, and uh, and and again, I I, uh, I think really the key is what you can do on each of the two screens. Uh, Microsoft has built some uh, neat functionality for this in its own apps, uh, and it's working on APIs that that they're giving away to Google to get integrated into uh, Android. It, it's kind of a, a whole discussion in itself how these two companies were able to work together, you know, that have traditionally hated each other uh, to, uh, to, to bring this thing to market. Uh, and at $1,400, Sean, uh, yes, it is hundreds of dollars more than, you know, top of the line phones from Apple and, and Samsung. Uh, however, it is significantly cheaper than the Fold Z, you know, or the Galaxy Fold Z2 is, I, I think, you know, they're saying it's gonna be close to $2,000. Uh, some of the similar proposition, uh, you know, this is using more mature technology, uh, and uh, and you know the the trade-off is flexibility in terms of how you arrange things on the screen uh, versus the convenience of just having something pop up, you know, full screen. So some of it's going to depend on developer stuff, but if you are a hardcore Microsoft 365 user, you live in that suite of apps, uh, this probably has a, has a strong proposition for you. And, and, and uh, you know, just as they did with Surface, uh, a lot of people laughed in the early days and they definitely didn't get everything right. Uh, but, uh, but over time, they've, they've built a business there, uh, particularly in, in the corporate world. Uh, and uh, they seem very committed to multiple iterations of this. Yeah, and, and Microsoft is using algorithms to decide how certain things behave inside of the, the Duo environment. So if you click a link on one side of the device, it'll open the link in the other side of the device and won't close your email. So you'd have your, for example, an email open on one side of the device and, and kind of trying to understand how to open up links or, or apps in the most appropriate 
kind of user-centric way, I think that will be key in the success of this device. If it is a very fluid experience and very natural where you are clicking links and it's opening them in the right ways, apps are opening the right ways, everything feels what I'll call native to the device, then I, I could see it. And I agree completely with your point, Ross, that if you are a heavy user, if if you're a Teams user, this could be a great device for you. Because, Teams could totally be a killer app for this. Yeah, because the, the, as I understand it, they'll have um, you know your video chat in on one screen, and then you can essentially see the, the rest of your team on the on the other screen. And so um, PowerPoint is probably going to be optimized wonderfully for this. So you've got a, a lot of things, and and actually Teams, I think is they've done a great job. We've talked about Teams in the past, and this could be a, a killer device for that environment. Um, and so we'll we'll see if there are enough dedicated users. And, you know, as soon as you say dedicated Office users and Microsoft users or Team users, you're already shrinking the size of the the market. Uh, we've we've seen Microsoft commit what look like commit to different hardware, and then some of that hardware never came to fruition, never came to market. So they they at times have seemed very committed to a space. And then, uh, and then backed away from it. Uh, I agree with you that it feels like they are very committed to this. The fact that they're willing to bring it out in uh, the middle of a of a very deep recession at a relatively high price point in in an environment where we're not very mobile uh, tells me that they at least want to give it a, a try. I hope that doesn't mean though that uh, lacking early success causes them to uh, abandon the category. Uh, and we'll we'll see how well it fits into some of their their broader goals for the future of of work. Yeah, it's it's one thing for Samsung, you know, to come out with a two thousand dollar phone when they have a full portfolio of of devices and are sitting on top of the smartphone market, or at least near the top. It's another thing to try to make your comeback uh, into a market where you've been uh, su- suffered a lot of black eyes, um, you know, and 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 place your bets on this thing. But, but again, you know, uh, they, they, as we saw in their first uh, go round in the, in the mobile market, uh, every company has its, uh, you know, breaking point in terms of the pain that they're willing to, uh, to endure. Uh, but, uh, but this is a, a new start for them. I think, I think it's an exciting start for them. And if it drives productivity, then it will be definitely a game changer and it will always there, have- There's a, the justification, yes. right? It'll have a dedicated, it'll have a very dedicated audience. Um, I, I would say that years ago, it, the world felt much more dedicated to Microsoft as the sole source of productivity tools. And so it, it almost made more sense years ago. I mean, today we aren't- just existing in a Microsoft world, we're using Zoom calls, we're using, uh, you know, we're sharing Google apps at the same time we're editing Microsoft Word documents. So we're kind of across the board. We'll see if that is a headwind for for this type of device. But I think the productivity will be a a key aspect of it. Some uh, some fascinating, I think, longer term implications in terms of how Android and Windows coexist, you know, when we start, I've written before about the possibility of, of Windows supporting Android apps natively within the interface. This definitely brings us a step closer to that. 
and how Microsoft will uh, will will develop for Android moving forward. You know, will it uh, today? Android apps in general are inferior, smaller versions of the Windows apps. You know, will they will they step up that level of investment to to bridge the gap now that they are part of the uh, Android ecosystem? You know, uh, Microsoft claims that it is like the third largest Android developer in the world, um, and it's not surprise. You know, that wouldn't be surprising. And just in terms of output, yeah. And if you see the direction that that Apple is going, as we discussed in last week's episode, trying to get everything to work natively in the Mac environment, mm-hmm. you're going to have to move in that direction. And so mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. a good first, a, a real first test of that partnership. And we'll see if that that partnership can can grow and flourish. And I, I think. Unlike in the past, both those parties, Apple, or excuse me, Google and and Microsoft, seem to be committed to giving it a, a try. They don't see it as uh, really hindering their their own competition in in the space or hindering their own ambitions in uh, in the space. So I think that's a very good sign for uh, for more iterations of this to come. So that's a good place to stop. Uh, thanks for joining another episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Mm-hmm.